Welcome to the Unsweetened Sayo podcast. My name is Siobhan Harris. I am a certified integrative nutrition health coach and the founder of unsweetenedsayo.com. I gave up all sugar and all flour on January 13th, 2018, and am finally free of my addiction. My mission is to help other sugar addicts find their path to freedom and live the sweet life without sugar. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 156 of Unsweetened Sayo, the podcast. Really, really excited about today's guest. Jane Steele is a licensed international food addiction professional and recovery coach. She specializes in assessment and treatment of food as a substance addiction and eating as a process addiction. This can include snacking, binge eating, restricting, dieting, and purging. She has an international virtual private practice offering individual and group coaching sessions to her clients. As an addict in recovery herself, she is passionate about empowering clients to achieve freedom from addiction to food and eating and restricting. So really excited, Jane, to have you today. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Siobhan. I've been looking forward to it. I'm really excited. We're going to kind of dive into this um, substance addiction versus process addiction. But first, I would love for you just to kind of share your own background and story of addiction and kind of what that journey looks like for you. Okay, well, hmm. <laughs> uh, I guess I guess I first really woke up to the fact that I had an addictive personality, let's put it, when I was about 11 and got drunk for the first time. My parents had gone out and I had the bright idea to get a bottle of wine that my mother had made. She was into brewing wine as a hobby at the time and um, and just start guzzling it just to see what would happen. And what happened was I got, you know, kind of dizzy. Um, I remember feeling a sense of elation. Uh, I remember kind of falling up the stairs, having a great time. I was by myself <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, um, I think I ended up throwing up uh, after continuing to drink more of it. Uh, even then, that very first time I did not have an off button or an off switch and um, yeah, I got, got quite sick. Um, I uh, remember going to bed and having a really deep sleep. I remember, you know, at age 11, around puberty, I was having some trouble with insomnia, kind of uh, low self-esteem, trouble sleeping, that sort of thing. And I remember it helped me sleep really well. And I woke up the next day thinking, oh, my God, I have got to do this again and a lot. So, um, yeah, <laughs> nothing social about that, uh, that kind of drinking uh, in any way, shape or form. And uh, what I understand about addiction now, that's, um, uh, that's, that's a pretty classic example of, um, of uh, unintended use, uh, um, you know, uh, use to excess and some negative consequences, but still yet a desire to do it again, because there were some pleasurable things uh, in there for me as well. Um, uh, I did not stop at alcohol. I, I used all kinds of other drugs, smoking, um, all kinds of risky kind of extreme behaviors as, as a teen, sort of starting around or, uh, age 11 or 12. Um, I would get these thrills out of sneaking out at night. Uh, I was at this all girls private school. You know, I think my parents kind of saw some addictive tendencies in me and really tried to protect me and keep me academically focused and 
not distracted and that kind of thing. But again, I, I went out and found, you know, found found the local um, boys with the the mohawks and the cigarettes, and you know, to go and sneak out and, um, you know, <laughs> in, in, engage in um, uh, sexual activity and uh, drinking and marijuana and all all that kind of thing from a really early age. Um, it didn't really. Uh, turn over into the whole food area until until later, um, until I, I left home. I left home at 17, went over to England uh, to, to live with a, a fellow who I'd met when I was in high school. And I'd had this uh, romance addiction kind of going on with him, this idea that I was going to live happily ever after with this fellow who was six years older than me. And he was sort of some, somehow going to make everything okay. And I was just going to live happily ever after, as I said. And um, and the relationship lasted about six weeks, and uh, and that's when I found myself uh, working in a pub, uh, doing a lot of um, kind of constant drinking at this point, and also a lot of uh, eating of um, uh, kind of heavy pub food. And I found that um, uh, you know my my life kind of consisted at that time of working and drinking and eating, and that was the first time in my life I actually started to put on weight. I'd always been slim, normal, uh, wasn't particularly interested in food. Um, uh, before then, but I think kind of with with the uh, dissolution of this relationship and uh, like, oh my God, now what am I going to do? Uh, I just kind of devolved back into like, well, you know, I'll make money and drink and eat and and, and that just sort of be became my life. And when I started to gain weight, that's where I got really even more kind of de depressed and became really determined to do something about it. And that's when the dieting uh, cycle began, which then started me into um, uh, under eating and then binging and purging. So that all probably started around age 18. And uh, then I got caught in a real spiral of that for about the next five years. I went to eating disorder treatment a couple of times. Um, I got quite underweight um, a couple of times. Uh, the, the binging and purging got really out of control. That, that was the main, main really seductive addiction that, that I could never really turn off for any length of time. Uh, the other ones, like, you know, to, with alcohol and drugs and various boys and whatever, I could kind of switch, it would seem, like, from one to another. Like, I could go for, you know, months, if not years, without drinking, but I would switch into a different substance. Uh, and then there would be times where um, I wasn't using substances, but I was really into, I went to art school at one point and got really into that, you know, and uh, was focused on that. And then I got into travel. I, I decided, um, I didn't decide, but I, I had a uh, an inspiration that uh, that what my problem was, were, or I was going to find some answer, I should say, in in spirituality. And and uh, a friend of mine had been to India, and she seemed to be living kind of a happy spiritual life. And I thought, oh, that's what I need to do. I need to go to India. And I remember I was completely substance free while I was in India, but you know, there I was in this in this other land, um, kind of getting high off the experience of of the geographical uh, drug, if you will. Um, so yeah, so I, I did a lot of switching around of that. So there's some examples of, you know, um, how addiction for me can manifest in substance use, you know, whether it be food or alcohol or drugs, or like more process addictions like travel or relationships or, you know, extreme emotional highs and lows. Um, and then the, the whole um, uh, eating, like binging, purging, uh, that I would call a process addiction uh, as well. Anyway, um, when I was 23, uh, that's where things had really stood, that the spiral had really tightened uh, for me and it was getting, you know, my, I um, wasn't able to, to sustain an income. 
uh, very well. I deteriorated um, quite badly into using harder and harder drugs to get away from the obsessive binging and purging that once I started, I just couldn't stop. Uh, and my weight was also getting lower and lower. So it was really, um, I was in the starvation mode, terrified to gain weight, terrified to lose control. Um, but would regularly, every time I, I ate anything, and it got to be that there were fewer and fewer sort of safe foods that wouldn't turn into a binge for me. And my binges would last often, you know, 14 to 16 hours, I would uh, turn into, I would go into like a dissociative trance with it, you know, I'd, I'd start with a bite of an apple. And before I knew it, I was, you know, mechanically just eating through, you know, whatever food was available. I would steal food, um, either from, you know, who, whosoever's home I was in, uh, I'd steal it from the store, I'd steal money uh, to get food. I remember pawning a, a typewriter, not a typewriter, but like a, a word processor once that I'd won um, uh, late at night so that I could go to 7-Eleven and buy more junk food to continue on a binge that I had started a few hours earlier. And, and I honestly couldn't uh, stop until my body was literally exhausted and I had passed out. So yeah, that's, that's basically uh, kind of my, my addiction story uh, to when I first was introduced to 12 step recovery at age 23. And I went there by way of a drug and alcohol detox, a detox facility. And that's where I was first introduced to the 12 steps and the idea that I had an addiction um, and that it could be arrested. That was really news to me. Um, before that I had seen therapists, as I said, I'd gone to eating disorder treatment and it's interesting because there never um, was there any conflation of the idea that an eating disorder was an addiction. It was always kind of seen as there being two different things that had to be dealt with separately and differently. Um, but I see it very differently uh, now, you know, from, from where I'm coming from. I see it um, eating disorders per se as really eating process addictions uh, that can be treated in, in quite the same way. Anyway, I've kind of gone gone all over all over the map, but that was sort of my my early addiction and then my kind of early recovery story. And since then, I mean, I'm 50 years old now, so this is age 23 to 50. Um, I have been drug and alcohol free all that time, um, and I've had uh, some relief and remission uh, quite a bit actually from from the binging and purging and from the anorexia and so on. I had about a 15, 20, 18 year somewhere well 15 years for sure of um, binging and purging remission. And um, yeah, about 18, 19 years for sure of the uh, anorexia remission. Um, but uh, I think as many of us know, addiction is progressive. And what I noticed during that time of uh, remission, if you will, I had largely channeled my um, kind of addictive tendencies into more workaholism and a real focus on making money and career. Uh, I got married, I was raising a son. I was very, very concerned about um, trying to kind of progress and make up for lost time, um, you know, that I had wasted in, in my teens and early 20s when a lot of my friends, you know, were going to college and university. And anyway, I, I, I did end up doing that. Um, but what I noticed during that time is that certain foods were becoming more and more unmanageable for me. And my eating habits were not great. I tended to um, be in kind of a grazing pattern um, where I try not to eat anything like I, I wouldn't uh, have breakfast kind of thing and then usually around 10 10 30 in the morning I'd be ravenous and then I'd eat like a granola bar and then a couple hours later I'd want another granola bar and then I'd go and eat a muffin and then I might have some popcorn and then I might have some chips and then I might have a quasi healthy dinner and then try not to drink like diet Pepsi and eat chips all night that was kind of what it looked like for me for many years and I would always be trying to 
uh, get myself not to, but I was never particularly educated in diet. Um, uh, I'd sort of learned uh, what I'd learned in eating disorder rehab, which was there's there's no bad foods, eat frequently, lots of carbs often, and um, uh, whole grains, fiber is good for you. That was kind of why I trended towards like granola and muffins, and I thought popcorn was like a vegetable and a healthy snack and that sort of thing. So that's basically what I was living off and constantly hungry, constantly about 10 pounds heavier than I wanted to be, often feeling puffy, and constantly having cravings. And um, and it seemed to me that, that there should be a better way to do it than having this fight with myself all the time. And I guess it was about 12 years ago that a friend of mine um, in my drug and alcohol 12-step um, program told me, and she was quite heavy, um, that someone, someone had told her about this food program uh, that had to do with no flour, no sugar, weight in measured quantities, nothing in between, like three whole food, food meals a day. I remember really perking up when she told me about this. I'm like, oh, is it just for people who need to lose a lot of weight or could it be for people who just kind of have a crazy relationship with food and maybe need to lose five or 10 pounds? And she said, well, I think it's probably for anybody. And uh, so that's when I, I tried this program. And that was the first time I'd ever tried actually having three meals, you know, fairly large meals that had to do with, that were whole foods uh, with nothing in between, including breakfast. Um, uh, but no flour and, um, pardon me, no sugar and no flour. And that was an absolute game changer for me. I, it was like discovering a color on the rainbow I didn't know existed. My, uh, I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified that I was going to be gaining weight because it just didn't seem right to me that I could eat these three huge meals a day with this big quantity um, and not gain weight, which was interesting. And um, uh, yet I didn't. I started losing weight, which was which was bizarre. And I, and I remember getting kind of a, a mental clarity as well as um, more connection with, with my body, which at the time I, I don't think I was really actually ready for. Uh, I was so used to, even though I'd been in a 12-step program, I wasn't particularly working the 12 steps. I was more of a dry drunk all of those years. And, uh, and I was staying compulsively busy. And as I said, I was kind of focused more on like um, achievement type addiction. <laughs> I wasn't working the steps and uh, doing searching fearless moral inventories and trying to be a better person. And I wasn't checking with my feelings. I wasn't being particularly relational. I was more just driven in, in other ways. And, uh, and when I stopped the, the flour and sugar uh, as a substance and didn't have any other kind of substances, I, I do remember feeling quite uncomfortable. Like I could actually feel my fears and doubts and insecurities. Um, and, and it was very uncomfortable, you know? Um, uh, it was then that I started um, uh, to, you know, work some of the other tools of the program, which were talking to a sponsor on a daily basis about how I was feeling. Um, I was encouraged to learn how to pray and meditate again in order to learn how to regulate my my nervous system. And again, I started to touch into these things uh, at that time. But as I say, I wasn't really ready, and I was more more focused on it as as more of a diet, if you will. And I did lose a bunch of weight and. And, uh, and I, I kind of carried on like this for about 18 months. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, there, there were elements of, of the program that, 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 were, that were quite rigid and that I started to rebel against, some stuff that, that seemed a bit, I don't know, um, fear-based, I suppose, like, like the, the vegetables and the protein and, and, the, and the starch on the plate, if they were mixed together, for example, then that was making a food concoction and that was a break in my abstinence um, 
if I stood up, you know, before the end of my meal and ate my, you know, fruit on the way out the door, well, that was a break in my abstinence. These types of rules, you know, got to really get in the way of my life and started to feel a bit more cult-like. So I started to rebel against that. And, um, and I remember having a relapse into binging and purging at that time. And, oh my God, Siobhan, I can't even tell you, that was like, you know, reawakening the devil, seriously. And, uh, and that was about 12 years ago or so. And since that has been reawoken, I've, um, my whole system, my, my whole addictive system has, has wanted to, to go back to that. Um, and, um, and my recovery since then has largely been trying to find a way uh, to, to manage that through, both through finding a proper food. Oh, that, and that was the other thing. My body also started to react to the huge volumes of, of food that were on this food plan. And for me, I'm not a very big person. Um, naturally, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty small. And um, the kind of volume of vegetables that I was having to have plus grains plus fruit, uh, in order to maintain my weight meant that I was absolutely stuffed, but never actually satiated. I can't even tell you the bloating and gas that that I had, um, probably from all, all just too much fiber, <laughs> too much too many veggies that that kind of thing. So there were a few things that, that weren't working. So um, somewhere in there, I, I knew, okay, there's something about this that's that's profoundly biochemical. You know, I got to find find the right food combination that's sustainable for me. And uh, and then I knew that you know a lot of it was habitual, psychological, um, habit driven. You know, more more addiction driven that that I was going to have to to deal with as well. Um, I saw you taking a, a few notes there and, and I've been talking a lot. So uh, is, no, is no, I'm just so grateful for you sharing and being so vulnerable and sharing this story um, and just, you know, starting at getting drunk at 11 years old. I mean, to me, that's just like, wow, you know, I and I know a lot of people start with the alcohol and the drugs and nicotine and then kind of go to the food. So it's so interesting to see your progression and um, just the full picture. So thank you so much for, for sharing all that. Um, and I definitely want to get into that substance addiction versus process addiction that you already touched on. But I'm just curious, you know, after, you know, and I hear this a lot too from people, they find that 12 step program for eating, but it does feel a little too restrictive and they rebel against it. And then there is a, like a relapse and then they kind of find a different program that that fits them. You know, it's like, that's one thing about, I feel like recovery, it's not one size fits all. We really have to customize it for ourselves. And like you said, you're a smaller person. You probably don't need as much, you know, food as other people do and really kind of figuring that out. So I'm just curious kind of where you are now, how you kind of figured out what steps you took, I guess, to make that more personalized for you. Mm, great question. And actually let's, let's, um, Put a little pin in that because I'll come back to that. When when you were talking about me getting drunk at age eleven, I do want to point out because I think this is key too that um, since uh, since then I've obviously I'm a, I'm a food addiction professional and I've done all sorts of diagnostics and training and whatnot. And one of the things I did was a sugar um, assessment, which goes back into a person's whole entire life history of um, of their relationship with food and eating and so on. And, and actually it was when I was like two or three um, or, or even younger that my gateway drug for sure was sugar. Mm. And some of the, the memories that, that came up as I was doing that diagnostic had to do with um, like my mother, bless her heart, she also had a food addiction, eating process addiction uh, when she was growing up as well. And one of her 
very effective ways of managing it for herself and also trying to have us grow up without that, uh, my brother and I, family, um, was to keep, you know, sugar and processed foods out of the house. And, um, uh, but what I remember is being absolutely obsessed with apple juice, like as a toddler, you know, because that was a really high concentrated source of, of fructose, of course. And that was one of the few like healthy, you know, um, healthy things in the house. But again, I made a beeline for it. And that was my go to favorite thing. Uh, toothpaste. I, I have memories of being like, again, a toddler getting up early in the morning and like eating toothpaste and taking it into my parents' room and like squirting it into their mouths. You know how little kids will do that, you know, like wake you up in the morning, here, eat this, you know, kind of thing. I would do that with the toothpaste because it was sugary. And there was also, a, a, sometimes I would, I would walk up on the counters again as a toddler, there was this little cup that always had birthday candles in it and band-aids. And sometimes it would have a pack of juicy fruit gum in it. Uh, that I guess my dad would have bought. And I, any time I found it, it was like winning the lottery and I would eat all of the pieces of gum and then I'd open all the band-aids and stick them all over my feet. And that was a fun thing that I used to do on Saturdays when I could. So, yeah, these are my earliest memories. So I know that I was you know, predisposed towards addiction and, um, and really like it, it's remarkable that foraging instinctual behavior that, that comes with addiction, even like I, I was pre-verbal, you know? So anyway. That's I, I, incredible. Yeah. And I love, I know you're sugar certified as well. And we've talked a lot about that tool on the podcast already, but just again, such a good way to see that full picture sometimes. Yeah. Cause I, I hear a lot of people after they, they do the assessment and I've had it done too. It really, I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that and that and that. It just really shows you this, this full, full picture. So I really highly recommend um, if you have any kind of questions or doubts or really take the time to do one of those sugar assessments with somebody because it's really mind-blowing what, what you find out when you really look at the full, full picture. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, pleasure. And sorry, so uh, fast forward again. So you asked me, how did I find the food plan that I'm on? Yeah, just a lot of experimentation. I've been everything from vegan to vegetarian to, oh my God, I only ate muffins and popcorn, as, as I said, you know, for years, thinking that that was a way to do it and <laughs> intuitive eating, you name it. And um, I guess it was about six years ago, uh, again, through a process of experimentation and, you know, trying to get education and trying all kinds of different diets and whatnot. I, I found something that that seemed to work um, fairly well, and that was, I guess, it would be paleo. I, I basically eliminated the um, the grains, like well, flour and sugar for sure. Like all the processed food had had to go for sure if I was going to have any any hope in in hell. Uh, but then, it, yeah, again, it, it was more nuanced around okay, which whole foods are the right are the right blend for me? And so, yeah, no grains or start like potatoes, grains. Um, basically plants. Uh, I was eating a lot of cabbage, um, um, purple cabbage, and anything green, any kind of green vegetable seemed to be okay. Plus, I really liked them, either raw or cooked. Um, uh, I was right into chicken and, and olive oil and avocados. So yeah, basically no, no legumes or fruit or grain, um, basically. And, uh, and that, that really kind of stabilized me. I remember um, uh, my, my weight was more or less kind of where I want. Oh yeah, no dairy, that was the other thing. Uh, my weight was, yeah, in, in, in a pretty good space. And most importantly to me though, I, I was able to not uh, get into that awful binging and purging cycle. Um, 
so yeah, biochemically, I seemed to balance out there, but it, it wasn't 100% and I still did feel a lot of angst uh, and still a lot of cravings. Um, uh, it was always there at a low volume, uh, low to mid volume at the back of my mind a lot of the time. Um, at the same time, I also started doing some um, experiential education that really felt a lot like therapy uh, at a place called The Haven on Gabriola Island, which is mm, basically a way of learning to become embodied, because uh, I was very much someone who lived in my head. I, I wasn't very good at naming my feelings. Um, I just knew I had a lot of angst uh, a lot of the time and felt um, yeah, like I was on kind of on, on the verge of wanting to binge all the time if I wasn't constantly keeping myself busy. And um, so these these programs had to do with learning how to kind of <laughs> sit in our bodies, learn to name our feelings uh, with other people doing, you know, various um, uh, exercises in, in communication, basically, uh, as well as allowing for some emotion to actually come out, um, which I was terrified of, too. I hadn't cried for years. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't really slow down enough to actually really, really have any kind of meaningful emotion other than anxiety. So I started doing that at, at the same say, time. This must have been very uncomfortable for you after oh, you yeah. know, avoiding this for so long to like sit and feel it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it, and it is, it's that blend of like, okay, some of this is, is, you know, biochemical for sure, like diet. And then another part is like, do I actually know myself and, and, who I am and how I feel and can I name them and, and can I feel okay with all of these things and be in communication in the world with other people. And I was realizing I wasn't very good at any of that and, and really needed to kind of learn it, you know, uh, as an adult, right? I was in my 40s when I started doing this kind of work. And um, so so I, I, I did start doing a lot of these, these programs and ended up getting a counseling certification uh, through the Haven. Um, uh, and that was incredibly helpful. And, and again, sort of during that time was able to kind of get clearer and clearer on what foods does my body need in order to, to thrive and which ones tend to cause cravings and which don't. And, um, uh, and, and, and getting more and more education about it. So, you know, reading about insulin and, and Dr. Jason Fung and learning more about low carb and so on that, um, that was all very helpful too. Um, yeah, I, I would say that that was was where I started to to kind of piece together my my own program, and sometimes going to some twelve step uh, food programs um, uh, to augment that. Uh, taking my training uh, through Infact, that was another uh, that's the International Food Addiction Counselor Training School. That had a component of treatment within it, and really, I did that training after I'd had an epic relapse. It was actually after I'd done a, a twenty five day long Haven <laughs> internship, and I was extremely stressed out and triggered the whole time and I kind of knew it was coming I was like oh god I can really feel a major binge coming on and sure enough I came home and I went on this epic five-day binge that was just like it had been you know in my late teens years ago and I was like oh my god okay I really need help I need to I need to go back into one of these weighing and measuring 12-step programs um, which I'd been avoiding right I'd been avoiding it since I'd been in that other one that said oh your carrots can't touch your cheese or whatever it was um because again, that, that one did feel um, a bit too restrictive and I was kind of dreading it. And I thought, wow, I, I need to do something. I need to get into some kind of more structured 12-step program, but that allows for a more ketogenic um, a type food plan. So I did find that. I did find a 12-step program that allowed me to have a medical abstinent food plan where I kind of ported in my own, my own plan. And uh, so that, that was incredibly helpful. That was about three years ago. And um, 
and I managed to um, get a lot of recovery, I would say, um, uh, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical. Um, finally, all, all of the pieces were kind of coming together. And um, that's when I started working actually as a food addiction professional. Um, and what else can I tell you about that? Um, Mm. And then, uh, yeah, uh, there were some elements that that were still kind of not not a hundred percent. I had really bad anemia, uh, for example. That um, no, no matter how much red meat I ate, it, it didn't seem to make any any darn difference. And when I went to a, a doctor to talk about this, it turned out the, the subject of diet came up, and I told him I was ketogenic, and he said that he was carnivore. I had never heard of such a thing and was shocked that it came out of the mouth of my, actually wasn't my doctor, it was my doctor's husband because she was away on mat leave. And, uh, and he said he'd been carnivore for 18 months and, um, and we talked sort of about food addiction kind of thing and, and he didn't actually admit to being an addict but everything that he talked about sounded like addiction, um, which he was keeping in remission with this and I remember it really stuck in the back of my mind I thought wow that's how can anybody not eat vegetables? I love vegetables. I mean, all of us, you know, vegans, whatever, like we can all, um, you know, whatever food war, whatever side you're on, we can all agree that vegetables are good for you for sure, right? So the thought of going without vegetables, where are you gonna get your vitamin C? Where are you gonna get your fiber? All of that was going through my mind. Uh, so I didn't I didn't try it until a few months later. I remember I was in a, um, I was taking a course that was in a confined space uh, for a week. And I guess I didn't realize how bad my day-to-day gas was because I was used to working at home alone, right? <laughs> and then uh, being in a room, you know, with all these people at the end of the day, I was doubled over from holding all this gas in all day because it would be inappropriate, right? And I thought, okay, something's got to give here. Maybe I just need to stop these vegetables as an experiment for a week and let's see what happens. Anyway, that was the game changer for me, Siobhan. That was two and a half years ago. And uh, um that seems to be my my magic happy place physiologically as well as mood wise um is uh is carnivore it, it and it, it's fascinating to me and again just just by virtue of getting some information and trying an experiment and seeing how it worked so i do still kind of um experiment with my macros in terms of how much you know meat um uh, to how much fat or added fat or what types of meats is it more fish chicken beef da, da that kind of thing. And um, also with, you know, how much exercise or how much activity am I doing? You know, what's the weather like? Um, You know, is it really cold out? Is it hot out? I've been doing a lot of traveling and I find that my body seems to like different types of of food and and macros in different types of weather and thrives on different things. So, but yeah, basically I've been on meat and um, and fat uh, for two and a half years. I do bring avocados back in occasionally because I like them and just to get a little bit of variety, but every time I end up with a stomach ache and gas and constipation. So I usually end up surrendering it after finally getting tired enough of that happening yet again. <laughs> I've got that addict brain. I, I, I always think it's going to be different this time. <laughs> but yeah, well, Thank you again for sharing that because it's such a good example too of how the eating plan can evolve too you know, and how you have to continue. It's not like, uh, you know, first of all, there's not one thing that's going to work for everybody, but I even find there's not one thing that's going to work for you forever. So you have to continue to pay attention like you're doing experiment and coming at that from that place of curiosity or like, well, why not try this and see what happens? It's such like a healthier place, you know, to be, to be trying things. I'm so glad that you have found 
you know, what really works for you. And you're continuing, like even to observe like, oh, when I travel and it's different climate, my body seems to need this. So coming from someone that wasn't, you know, so detached from your body, it's like a full circle to look how in tune you are with yourself now and able, you know, to recognize such subtle shifts within. So that's amazing to hear your whole journey. And I think for people listening, really empowering and motivational because it's some, it's not a linear, you know, it's not straight. Like we are all over the place in our recovery. And it's definitely, um, I think more common for it to look like that than people realize, you know, it's not like you find the one thing and it works for you forever. So I love that. But I do want to shift gears because, and I thank you so much for for sharing that story because I think it's going to be so helpful for people listening. Um, but let's really dig into this, you know, food as a substance addiction and eating as a process addiction. Like kind of mm-hmm. you explained a little bit. Tell us more though what you mean by that. Oh, that's such a good question. And yeah, and I'm I'm kind of building the bridge as I walk on it, as I'm observing myself here too. So I'm someone who is very concerned about body image. I'm really conscious that I can tell if I've gained or lost a pound by how my clothes fit, by how I feel. I'm hyper, hyper aware of it. Um, uh, It's definitely some anorectic tendencies and um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, that's there. And then also um, I definitely use um, like overeating, snacking, grazing as a process addiction. I can go into a dissociative trance uh, I, and I actually have to be very, very mindful when I sit down to eat because of that. So, you know, for, for some people, um, food is a, a substance and that's it. And they, they, they have satiety signals and, you know, they, they can sort of eat until they're full and, and that's good. And then they won't eat again until they're hungry. That's not me. You know, if I start eating, I will want to continue it because of that sort of numbing kind of trancey effect. Um, there's also a part of me, as I mentioned before, that is really addicted to that whole binging purging cycle. So it's very dangerous. Like if I if I get too full, I'm going to tip over at some critical point and I'm going to way overeat so that I can then get the relief that comes from the purge. And um, and there's a whole addictive chemistry to do with that, um, that anybody who's listening who does struggle with um, with binging and purging will, will relate to. It's it can be as powerful as having an orgasm and and about that um and and create like a high after in the same way i'm not quite sure what the chemistry is but um but it's very seductive and uh and so i I always have to be very aware of that and for and because of that weighing and measuring is critically important sorry I'll, i'll add another another piece on there too i can also uh find that again that dopamine reward pathway in me it's looking for any kind of outlet restricting can also be a real high, right? So, um, you know, uh, waiting too long to eat uh, can put me into another type of trancey, um, endorphiny uh, kind of a state uh, that eventually I end up with a binge and purge as well. Like there are just so many ways that that food and eating or part, yeah, can, can create any or all of these scenarios. And so for someone like me, I need to eat regularly. Um, I found that three meals a day is, um, is is ideal not too much volume so really high density right like the the protein that's i think why carnivore works so well for me is um uh because you don't need a a huge volume uh, because it is so nutrient dense so i I don't get that um compulsion to um uh, to purge if I've, i've eaten too much 
so yeah, definitely having having the parameters around it and eating uh, frequently is is super helpful to stop food becoming a process addiction for me. Did that answer the question? I kind of danced around many different descriptors, but yeah. So you gave some good examples too, you know, of process. But again, I guess just you know, so people kind of understand because this is something that's a newer concept to me too. But it makes so much sense, and I see myself. I'm almost five years sugar and flour free. But the snacking started to kind of sneak in within yeah. like the last six months, I would say. And um, and I was snacking on healthy, you know, like food, like things that I can eat. I wasn't, it's not sugar and flour, but it felt a little bit out of control. Yes. And it, some of that sneaky, you know, came back like the guilt and the shame and the, you know, and it was just very interesting to me to be like, I, again, from a place of curiosity, like, whoa, what is happening here? Yeah. And it was even stuff that before I could eat just a little bit, it was fine. And, but then suddenly I am eating and looking forward to the snack, you know, say it's like popcorn or whatever, where I could give or, you know, you know, two years ago, it was like, oh yeah, I might have it once every once in a while, no big deal. But then I was like, oh, I couldn't wait to have my popcorn at night after I got the kids to bed. And so, yeah, um, do you find that too, that it can be something that shows up kind of later, you know, as we know that addiction is progressive. Yes. And yeah. So I'm curious, yeah, what you find with your with the clients that you work with too around that. Absolutely. And that's a that's a beautiful example, something that seems as innocuous as a snack. Like what is a snack? You know, um, uh, Dr. Robert Sywis, the, the carb addiction doctor, I, I think he puts it best. He's like, a snack is always an emotional event. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a, not normally anyway, it's not normally a, a hunger induced event. And I agree with that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and again, I think that's where, you know, for me to really be in recovery and getting underneath, you know, what, what message is my um, addiction telling me and how can I really be working, you know, a spiritual 12 step program? It's by you know, keeping my food within these succinct times um, as and, and thinking of it as fuel and medicine, right? It's not a drug and eating is not a drug either. And so when I'm having a feeling in between, you know, whatever it is, the four to six hours in between each meal, and I don't go and pick up a snack, if I can actually get through that urge to snack and actually check in what's actually happening there, it is some kind of feeling. Uh, often associated with some sort of habitual thinking pattern. So, uh, and again, this is where 12 step um, programs can be really, really helpful. It very much mirrors cognitive behavioral therapy. It's like, wait a minute, stop, Jane, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What's happening? And that's where I actually start to move into some recovery, you know, both myself and for my clients. And by using other types of tools, when there's that urge to snack, uh, one of my favorite ones is is a, a series of box breaths, right? To actually stop and regulate my nervous system. And that's in, you know, breathing in the nose for four, holding it for four, out for four, and then hold the out breath for four. 10 or 12 rounds of that is not only going to calm me down and get me through that urge to have the snack, but it's also going to alert me to, okay, what was I actually thinking and feeling in that moment? I put myself in more of a meditative state. I'm taking a pause and I'm going into the parasympathetic, which enables me to actually be curious. And you know, nine out of 10 times, it's somewhere where I'm feeling kind of powerless. Um, I don't quite know how to solve a certain situation or problem. And, and my go-to is to go have a snack, right? Procrastinate, eat something, right? 
when really what I need to do is stop, breathe, uh, look at the situation differently, and then, you know, apply some other kind of problem solving. And usually it's asking for help, right? Like, you know, asking for help with Google, right? How do I sort this out? Or, um, or talking to another friend or another expert or a professional. And, uh, and through that, that's how my life has become a lot more, um, I'm finally starting to mature as a grown-up individual who can deal with life rather than having a snack all the time, if that makes sense. Totally. And it's interesting, yeah, that the binging, purging, restricting can also be, you know, a process addiction. And I think earlier in the episode, you mentioned like working a lot or staying really busy, or you, you talked about relationships too, like talk a little bit more about those areas as well like where those have become process addictions. Yeah. Like, especially like the, I think the relation, I forget how you put it, but it was yeah, like really interesting. It was almost like a romance addiction or <laughs> thinking yes. that was going to solve, you know, everything. Yeah. 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 Oh goodness. Yeah. Um, yeah. F- fantasy addiction, like anything that, that um, kind of in, enhances, you know, whatever feelings I'm having. So, it, and it doesn't even have to be positive. It can just be dramatic, right? It can just be all encompassing. So this is where, you know, uh, I've been in relationships that, you know, have lasted way too long because there's been this kind of um, painful drama loop, right? That feels kind of as repetitive as, as an eating addiction or a substance addiction. I think it's the body's way of trying to um, uh, protect ourselves from, from otherwise terrifying circumstances. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think for me, it, it often, maybe all of us, I don't know if this is universal, but you know, a sense of like being alone in the universe is very terrifying, you know, for many of us. I'm like, Oh my God, you know, being, being completely responsible, uh, you know, for, for being here in this skin, in this, in this incarnation is, 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 can be quite terrifying if I'm, if I'm, um, just actually being with the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the irony though, is, is when we come into recovery, when we don't actually block you know, that fear and breathe into it. There's a, one of my favorite um, therapists is uh, Fritz Perls, who was the, the founder of Gestalt Therapy. Um, he, he very correctly said, you know, fear is excitement without the breath. Fear and excitement feel exactly the same way. It's just a label we put on it, right? Like anxiety and elation feel identical. It's just if we think of it as being positive or negative, we're, we're right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's breathing into it, right? Like leaning up into it. Um, that really is where the, the, the breakthrough, if you will, or the miracle or the transformation, or, or we switch over in, from terror into joy. And I find that, that healing from an addiction or you know, all addictions by, by not acting on whatever urge it is to do, to do whatever, you know, whether it's a process of you know, yelling at someone because that's going to feel good cathartically and be like sort of a drama relational type of addiction or critique someone or you know, fall in love you know, and oh, complimenting and, and adoring someone. That's all very endorphin-y, chargey type stuff, right? Um, if we can avoid you know, acting on those real chargey uh, kind of compulsions and then instead just sit with what am I actually feeling here? Ah, okay, now I've got something. Now I'm, I'm more aligned with, with uh, true self or soul or, um, or I have the opportunity to actually be in an intimate relationship with myself and with that other person in naming you know, the, the, the feelings and talking about them and listening to you know, an experience that someone else is having. 
Mm. It's kind of making sense. Mm -hmm. That's so beautiful and well put really, really. And we're kind of wrapping up now too. I think that's actually a really good way to kind of wrap things up and look at it. Cause that's such a key part that a lot of us miss. So, and I might not be explaining this, right. So you might be able to correct me, but so that, you know, the substance part of the addiction is the substance itself, whether it's, you know, the alcohol, food, drug, right. That that's, but then the process part is all these other things where we're still looking for that kind of dopamine hit or endorphin rush or whatever you were. And, and the way that that kind of can look different for everybody, you know, it can be the binge eating or restricting, yes. it can be snacking. So is that kind of cover yeah. that? Right. And yeah. I think so. Yeah. So a process addiction is more behavioral, but still releases the same internal chemistry as if I had taken a drug through alcohol or, or sugar, for example, mm -hmm. so the rush I might get from shopping or from fantasizing or from, you know, eating, it doesn't really matter what it is, you know, just that chewing sensation, um, uh, running, right? Again, it's that sort of movement. It's a behavioral kind of thing that puts us into a different state that, that um, affects our internal biochemistry. So yeah, mm -hmm. that, that would be the, the best way to understand process. Yeah, that was defined really well. Thank you. Good. Yeah. yeah. Well, is there anything else that we did not get to today or, you know, something else you wanted to mention or just leave with the audience today? Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, I guess, um, I guess that that's it. You know, if, if, if you identify as someone who has addiction, um, just know that there's hope, right? That you're not alone and, and, and don't be alarmed if it seems to morph into other areas, <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's normal for it to do that. Uh, I think the stats are that at least 88% of people who, you know, thought they had a sugar addiction or know they had a sugar addiction, find that they suddenly can't stop spending or shopping or, you know, obsessing over, you know, some, some man or doing, doing things that, you know, they, they otherwise, you know, wouldn't be doing. Just know that, that that's, you know, addiction coming out in another outlet and, um, and that, you know, addiction treatment uh, can be a really, a really good thing and that it's not that hard. There's a lot of addiction professionals out there. Uh, look for someone, I guess, um, who can help, help you assess uh, correctly if you have addiction or not and and give you a holistic plan for for how to deal with it and there's all kinds of free resources out there as well there's books there's uh, podcasts there's um 12-step uh, meetings there's other non-12 12 step kind of things um yeah just don't don't give up and don't lose hope i love that and i'll make sure just for people listening that are interested in working with you i will definitely link your website and contact information so they can get in, in touch with you oh thanks so much siobhan and thank you so much for being here today i just really really loved this conversation so thank you thank you me too thank you Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. And remember, life is so much sweeter without sugar.